We have to go back! Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And you have terrible sense of fashion. No, it wasn't a question. We are reviewing the 2006 movie, The Devil Wears Prada. And we are reviewing this movie because uh, The Devil All the Time is making its way to Netflix. And we review movies solely on titles. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> and so this movie is based off of a book. Uh, so Lauren Weisberger wrote The Devil Wears Prada in 2003. Uh, and it is a story of a young woman named Andrea, a.k.a. Andy, uh, her her first job out of college is as a personal assistant to a merciless New York fashion magazine editor, Miranda Priestley. And with help from Miranda's assistant, Emily, and the art director, Nigel, Andy starts to work her way up the ladder. But at what cost? So this is based on the real life experience of Lauren Weisberger because she in her real human life because she was the intern for the famous Vogue editor, Anna Wintour, mm. uh, for... Uh, way back in uh, in the early 2000s or so. And so she kind of wrote a novel inspired by her experiences. Though there's some controversy around, like, where does fact and fiction um, meet on an elevator and, you know, exchange stories. But overall, the official uh, word of the author is that Miranda Priestly is a completely fictionalized character and is in no way... Uh, anything like Anna Wintour. The characters portrayed in this feature film are complete works of fiction. And so when this novel was just being written, just being typed up, there was like a hundred page manuscript for this uh, book before Fox said, we need this movie. Hmm. Carla Hecken, the then Fox Studio executive vice president, had only seen the first hundred page of the manuscript and immediately made a bid for the movie. And she's gone on record saying that I thought Miranda Priestly was one of the greatest villains ever. Ah. Uh, and so she then went on to make a way for the Devil's Words Prada film to be made. Now, the novel was released in 2003. The film was released in 2006. That's a pretty quick turnaround. It is. Uh, wow. More of a turnaround than a fashion <laughs> reference, I'm sure. Than um, the end of a catwalk. <laughs> there you go. And uh, it was directed by uh, David Frankel, starring Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep, Emily Blunt, and Stanley Tucci. So mm. the film is set in the real world of fashion. But most fashion designers and other fashion notables avoided appearing as themselves in the movie for fear of displeasing the real-life Anna Wintour. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there are a handful that are credited as themselves, like Heidi Klum, I think, is in there as mm -hmm. herself. Now that I think about it, huh, she really loves playing herself in <laughs> Anne Hathaway movies, a la Ocean's 8. So this movie was made with a budget of $35 million. It went on to make over $327 million, which, based off of what I learned from the movie, is like a dozen fashion bags, right? Yeah, like, a dozen. Like yeah, yeah, 12 to 15 fashion bags. Yeah. Bags yeah. of fashion. <laughs> now, this movie... Um, 
you know, became a huge cultural, um, I guess, point of reference. It, it was in the zeitgeist. Uh, I remember you probably remember the episode of The Office where uh, Michael finally watches The Devil Wears Prada and he keeps on treating Pam like uh, his assistant he starts throwing his jacket and his bags yeah. over there. Uh, yeah, that was really my only reference point as well. Uh, so mm-hmm. you hadn't seen this before? No, not in its entirety. But man, was I so happy. It made me. Here's the thing. Here's how you know a movie is good. It made me want to read a book. That's how. <laughs> That's I, high praise. I, so this, this there's a whole saga of this movie. So it's uh, it's The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, the 2003 mm-hmm. novel, there was a follow-up sequel novel in 2013 called Revenge Wears Prada, The Devil Returns. And then in 2018, they released a kind of in-world sequel called When Life Gives You Lululemons, which, I mean, come on. <laughs> that sounds like Christ. something we would make up. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> Real title. Uh, and it focuses on Emily. Uh, helping a senator's wife who is framed for drunk driving and resisting uh, all of Miranda's efforts to rehire her. And that's that's what that novel is. I'm just like, I really want to read what inspired this movie. Because the movie is, it is textbook, and I didn't realize this until the end, uh, Hero's Journey. Yeah, I've heard this movie referenced a lot in story breakdown examples um, mm-hmm. and for character archetypes too. Just Stanley Tucci's role as the guide through this mm-hmm. new world. Oh, there's so much to talk about in this movie, so much to dissect. Uh, but one of the big things that people talk about in this movie uh, is <laughs> everyone's disdain for Nate. Oh, yeah. I was watching it on my computer, and my wife just walked by. I'm like, oh, that guy. Yeah, it was so interesting because he- here's the thing that I I really, really dug about this movie. First off, it made me love the world of fashion more than just uh, like that, that whole monologue of like, oh, well, you think you're above fashion. And she just starts breaking down like the color of blue that's in her sweater, which was almost cut. Like that, or at one point in time, that was completely cut. And Meryl Streep said, no, let's keep that in. And they're mm-hmm. like, Meryl Streep, no one says no to you. I mean, it's an important piece, I think, for an audience member to be like, this is why it's applicable to me, larger than just being a great story. Like that whole scene, yeah, it really gives you kind of like you understand that like, oh, this is why she is at the top of her game. Like she, mm-hmm. And an interesting thing about this movie is that Meryl Streep doesn't raise her voice at all. And that was something that she said was inspired by Clint Eastwood. She said he never raises his voice on set, and there's nothing more intimidating than that. Oh, and I was just like, we're getting oh, ahead right. of ourselves on recast and remake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she and she just does such a good job. She just looks at you a certain way, and people are just ah, uh, it's just uh, I. They did a good job of conveying stress and emotion and. Um, really shows you how high stakes things can be without, mm-hmm. you know, the world having to end. It's just like, well, these people's lives would be completely over and you're kind of rooting for them. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point that a lot of times stories are more compelling when you're seeing one person's world end right. rather than the world actually ending. Absolutely. And I think that kind of 
uh, goes back to the thing about Nate is that uh, Nate, the boyfriend, I really think that he's not the villain. As I was, ta- I was talking to my sister, I'm like, yeah, I watched The Devil Wears Prada. She's like, yeah, you know, you really do see that Nate is the villain. I'm just like, Nate's the That's what villain. my wife said. She's like, he's the real bad guy here. <laughs> the Devil Wears Pasta. That's what there it would have been for Nate. Yeah. I really think that Nate, I, I believe his character. I believe his story. I think Nate is woefully misunderstanding the thing that is happening for Andy's character. Because of the Devil Wears Prada being a hero's journey, Andy is going into the unknown world, right? Uh, it's the unknown world, and Andy is, like, slaying dragons over here, like, doing these crazy uh, fetch quests of getting early copies of Harry Potter and really doing like, it's just so fun. It's so fun to see like how Andy figures out how to do these things just with a different attitude, really. And it's just really cool. And I think that Nate just doesn't see it. Like, I think the only thing to make Nate's character a little bit stronger would be if they had him just be as invested as her. He's like, wait a second. Is this, Am I fashioning correctly? Like he kind of gets a vested interest, but I think he just keeps on staying on the side of like, yeah, this thing is silly because that was Andy's perspective initially. He's always kind of a jerk to her too. Other than making her a grilled cheese sandwich, we never really see that moment of why they work together, which is fine. to, To be fair, grilled cheese sandwiches is how I try to mend any kind of, uh, uh, shortcomings, and so... Um, well, it's supposed to tell us about his character, right? Because the first thing we see is he hands her the grilled cheese sandwich and says there's like $8 worth of cheese in there, and I, I didn't know he was a chef. I was like, what kind of psychopath? <laughs> uh, and so you're like, oh, okay, he works with food. That's his thing. And they, they pulled that out towards the end by highlighting he feels about food the way that Andy ended up feeling about fashion, like seeing the complexities of what Mm -hmm. makes it an art form. And so I like that those are are pitted against each other. But I think the ultimate thing and why people love to hate on Nate uh, coming this fall to Fox is Mm -hmm. that he's in a different movie. This isn't his story. He's the normal human character in a superhero film. He's basically working at this restaurant all day. His girlfriend... Misses his birthday. Sure, he's not particularly nice to his friends either. Uh, but it turns out he's been trying to get into this really difficult job all along. And he has a, a story arc that we just never really saw. And we're like, oh, you've been doing stuff, Nate, which I really like. It's similar to how Emily Blunt pushed to have her character running around in the background yes. of all of the different scenes. Like, she's uh, living a life out there. Yeah. And I think that's really crucial to this movie is all of the characters are existing when they're off screen. The thing that I really like is that the the whole story uh, and the major conflict has to deal with whether or not Andy is going to get in her own way of doing her job. Like it's a high stakes job, but like I love how several times like, so quit like, you know, Stanley Tucci's character is like, quit then like leave. You don't have to do this. There would be someone else who would fill your position. Like, why are you here? Like, are you going to step up to this role or not? 
Uh, I think mm-hmm. the the Nate storyline I think kind of grounds her to the to the stakes of her her personal relationships, and I don't think it's necessarily about like how much uh, she means to Nate, but more so how much Nate means to her. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important. It's not that like Nate's this great guy uh, who's doing all these great things, but she does care about who she is when she's with Nate. Uh, and she ultimately has to make a call of the kind of person that she's becoming because, you know, the spoiler of like, uh, you did that to Emily. You're like, you, you said you could never do this to this person. It's like, but you did that to Emily. Everyone wants to be us. And she's like, no, I've come too far. I've That's Icarus. impossible. No, yeah. it can't be. You either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself <laughs> in Dolce Gabbana. That's it. That is it. Cut and print. So I, I just really love the story. There's so much to really appreciate about the uh, the action and the visuals. Mm. Like, th- they use visuals so much. There are so many scenes that are happening where zero dialogue is being exchanged. And you're like, I'm getting this story. It's just done in such a way that really makes you excited and you're rooting for the characters and you are fully immersed in this world. Yeah, and so it makes sense with all of that considered that it was nominated for two Oscars. Uh, One was for Meryl Streep for best performance by an actress in a leading role, and the other was best achievement in costume design to Patricia Field. Uh, Unfortunately, it was the same year as Marie Antoinette, and they took it for costuming, but the the costumes, the pieces in this are incredible, and a lot of them uh, got donated, like specifically Meryl Streep's uh, wardrobe, I believe got donated and sold for charity purposes as well. So there was that aspect to it. Wow. Uh, it was also a, a winner of a Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture going to Meryl Streep. And then they were nominated for two other Golden Globes, Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical, and Emily Blunt got the nomination for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role in a Motion Picture. And then it, you know, there are BAFTA nominations and, and SAG nominations, and it is a critically acclaimed movie, and rightfully so. I mean, we were seeing it for the first time, you know, at 14 years after the fact, and it's just a kinetic story. It's just, it, it's amazing how how much care was put into this movie that, you know, as Nate would say, just about shoes and, like, stuff. Get them. Boo. (laughs) You know, one of my favorite fashion designers uh, Mm -hmm. in the movie that uh, actually made an appearance uh, was uh, Ede Kanan. (laughs) Very exclusive uh, line of uh, fashion headwear. Ede Kanan. Ede Kanan. Eric Conan for men and women. Headcanon is a part of the show where we share with you. That was headcanon, by the way. Uh, headcanon. Oh, you were saying headcanon? <laughs> I was saying headcanon. Now at Eckerd's. <laughs> Uh, Headcanon is a part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Oh, Grayson. Yeah. It's another week. Another movie where we will have the exact same headcanon. I thought that might happen, so I came with a backup. Oh, so you please. Brought, you brought please, two cannons? Double barrel headcanon, and I, I have a go bag, so you can. 
Oh. Proceed. Well, my headcanon is that the devil wears flip-flops, uh, <laughs> largely due to comfortability, uh, and uh, it's really just a, a Dr. Scholl's in there that really gives most of the support. No, my, my headcanon is that this is the offshoot world of the Princess Diaries, where... Oh, oh is that not-, not what you had? No, man. I thought this is what gave her a taste for the finer things in life, and she couldn't afford it anymore, so she had to steal it nice. from Bruce Wayne. Nice. Oh, that's so good. No, um, the headcanon is that Anne Hathaway's character in Princess Diaries, Mia, uh, basically never found out that she was a princess. Uh, she's just like, oh. so she, this is a world where it never happened, and so she just kind of lives a normal average uh everyday life uh and then she you know she becomes a princess in the a different world uh you know she becomes a princess in the urban jungle if you will yeah fashion Uh, royalty fashion royalty that's the words i was trying to figure out and so it is that and that is uh how the worlds collide I like that. Ricky, I went I went back to the well. Tried and true. What we have here is a good old-fashioned Fight Club headcanon. Yeah! Because I think it's Nate pretty exist. obvious. Yeah, a world where Nate just never was there. So my Fight Club headcanon is that Andy and Emily are the same person. Um, who ever heard of a second assistant? <laughs> I know it's a thing, but if you look at how they kind of switch places, that is very classic of the, the tropes of, of that kind of story of the imaginary friend type deal. Um, also, it's when Andy reaches close to her breaking point that Emily gets hit by a car and breaks her leg. They're really two sides of the, the same coin here. Think of it as left shoe, right shoe. And the only way they can get by is to walk together. I uh, love the idea, too, then, that that's kind of that office setting where she's running in the background, very kind of fight club of they were there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And often Andy will, like, look out the doorway through the office and uh, make nonverbal communications back and forth with Emily. That That would have to mean that... Andy is the real one just because she has more of the established life that we see with Nate and her dad and all that. Um, But we really don't learn a bunch about Emily. All we really know is that as Andy gets stronger, Emily gets weaker. And they don't talk to her at the same time, really, uh, like when they're having to feed information to her at the party. When one personality isn't able to supply the information, the other one steps in to protect the combined psyche. That is very interesting. Uh, And I buy it. It tracks Which means at the end of the movie, um, she just gets to keep her own clothes. So that's pretty nice. That is really nice. Ooh, um, and and another piece of headcanon that I had was um, that Paris uh, is is, is a great place to go to. Prove it! (laughs) 
Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Uh, I would personally love to turn this into a series. Uh, Put it on HBO Max and just turn it into a high-stakes fashion show. Or uh, if anyone is old enough to remember P. Diddy's Making the Band, Mm. uh, it was basically like the Devil Wears Prada, but like a reality show. (laughs) It was wild because there... One of the tasks for making the band, P. Diddy sent his people out. He said, all right, I need you to go to Brooklyn and get me a cheesecake on foot. And that was just like a challenge he gave them. They're like, what? Like, why? What does it have to do with making music? Do it. So (laughs) it was something just very just weird like that but i would love for this to be turned into a competition reality show Mm. all building up to work in the world of fashion it's my understanding that that's like half of bravo's programming (laughs) exactly yeah i was about to say yeah i i'm sure i hear a lot of people say ricky it's called project runway i was like no 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 i'm talking about the full high stakes world of just basically uh being a personal assistant to someone and seeing whether or not you're going to actually have a job by the end of that week. Oh, episode. you're talking about Project Runaway. That's the one. Yeah, get out That's of there. The one. So so yeah, I would love to see that or the the HBO Max or uh Hulu Amazon Prime series of it being a series where uh you you just follow uh, different characters either it is the origin story which would be really fun of uh, nigel like is like a prequel story of just like nigel mm-hmm. in that world before andy shows up or you know emily's character uh like a standalone series of just emily uh either before or after andy's involvement and i think that that would just be a really fun show to watch just a whole spin-off series of nate being a sous chef in boston <laughs> That's where the real story begins. <laughs> That's it's just like the heart Nate, of the drama. <laughs> Nate, you 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 drive me crazy, but your grilled cheeses are unmatched. We've tried recreating it. We can't do it like you, Nate. Yeah. It's just because I hate fashion. That's what drives me. <laughs> yeah, it, it's in Boston, so it has a crossover with Boston Legal. And since he's <laughs> a sous chef, you should see how I'm spelling Sue in my head for my recast and remake i i'd love to see this as a stage play really i I think it has that kind of intense acting you know dynamics Mm. that that would play really well in a confined location um and a great way to show off the the costumes live for the recasting for andy i had elizabeth olsen um oh yeah because i feel like she could play that transition really well for the role of Miranda Priestley, my mind immediately went to Helen Mirren. Um, I think she has that gravitas that you have to have in that role, um, and she would be great. And then Emily Blunt is just irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. Same with Stanley Tucci, which, uh, you know, they're family members. I didn't realize that till this year that uh, he is married to Emily Blunt's sister. 
and it's because of this movie yeah that they met i think that's so great bringing people together so that was my, that would be my current recasting i kept half the cast but if i have to yeah. replace leads then yeah it's helen mirren and elizabeth olsen now we're going to go to our final segment of the show where we like to give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend The Devil Wears Prada? Besides the fact that it's slimming, you know? It is slimming. It's uh, you know, vertical stripes. Um, I recommend The Devil Wears Prada. Well, it's a very compelling fish-out-of-water story. It's one that we have you know, seen other stories like it. And like we said, it's a great example of film construction. I think... At the cast level, that's where a lot of the uh, attention came in from the media and what the audience really gravitated towards was the depictions of these characters are not one or the other, right? They're not even caricatures because we see these moments of softness with Meryl Streep's character. We see a glimpse into her family life. We see her dealing. And while we don't get her entire story, we get enough we get about as much as we might get if we were in that situation, if we were in Andy's shoes, so um, her Jimmy Choo shoes. So I appreciate those human moments where no one is all good or all bad, depending on how you feel about Nate, but the fact that you're able to empathize with people that started out as villains and you're able to really not approve of the character that's supposed to be the hero and give them the chance for redemption. I think we go through that journey with all of these characters and we feel the victory for Nigel and we feel the betrayal of how things play out. And there's so much emotion Uh, in the acting of this. And I think that's the perfect match with the writing. I love the dialogue. There were too many lines for me to write down that I loved from this movie to where it just would have been an hour of us quoting the movie back to each other. The, The dialogue is so strong and it stays on track with that solid construction and it's brought to life through these performances. And if none of that grabs you, there are beautiful articles of clothing in this movie. The Just the, the design elements alone in the costumes are enough to visually grab audience members. So uh, whatever you're watching it for, I encourage you, if you have not seen The Devil Wears Prada, like uh, was our case at the beginning of the week, watch it <laughs> and uh, yeah, just, just enjoy it. And if it's been a while since you've seen it, um, just... Rewatch it anyway. I'm sure you'd catch even more nuanced moments throughout this film. So ultimately, I recommend this movie because it's artfully told, it's artfully performed, and it's artfully designed. Absolutely. Yeah, I I would recommend watching The Devil Wears Prada because, you know, despite the title, the devil doesn't like show up at all, which is like going to confuse a lot of people who are like, oh, finally, a good devil movie. Well, he went down to Georgia. Yeah. He's in New York? How did that happen? Did you get on the train? It's called Um, Elevator. (laughs) So this movie is such a treat to watch. I I think this movie can be written off by a lot of people who would just label this as a chick flick, not for me kind of thing. But I think this movie is just a 
a really compelling coming of age story of slaying your own dragons and work. Cause like this is her first job out of college. I'm like, ah, I remember those. And it is, it is a completely different uh, place to be in life. And so it was, it's fun to kind of remember that, but also it is just such a interesting world to go into because if you like, if you're like me, you know, 0% about fashion, you can walk into this movie uh, and still know 0% about fashion, but understand uh, what fashion means to people. I really liked it. It's a great movie about staying true to yourself and uh, rising to the occasion when you have high expectations placed upon you. Yeah, and, and really, it's just a, a really compelling story. And Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep and Emily Blunt, Stanley Tucci, like, this could have been the movie like they did with Bowfinger. They could have just said their names. I'm like, okay, great. I don't even need to know what the name of the movie is. They're in it. It's going to be a good time. Together <laughs> for the, for the first, first time. But really, I, I'd recommend this movie uh, because it is a, a really fun, interesting story about, like, work and how all-consuming a very high-demanding job can be uh, and how thrilling it can be because like really the the movie does a good job of establishing what the stakes are uh and that you're gonna throw it in the sink no different stakes uh but it establishes what the stakes are and has you latch on to what they are and like really feel for the characters like they I, I'm just really impressed with this movie's ability to connect me to a world I have zero connection to uh, and still have me uh, follow the characters and root for them and things that I have zero understanding of. And so I, I'd recommend it for that. Ricky, I got to say that recommendation was clutch. Thank you. Purse jokes. Let's get out of this, Ricky. <laughs> And that is our review of the 2006 movie, The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, let us know uh, how you address the devil. No, uh, let us know uh, what you remember about The Devil Wears Prada on our social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks. Uh, and it would mean so much to us if you could leave us a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice uh, on a scale of one to five sink stakes. How would mm. you recommend this podcast now granted you would think sink steak that's not good that's not a good thing to want but the sink steak represents a turning point oh it's also five free steaks I what's mean, bad about that come, well, you're gonna turn your nose up at five free steaks no. Oh, you have dietary restrictions that, well I didn't know that no that 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 makes sense okay on a scale of one to five Pradas, like one Prada, that's basically a nada. But five Pradas? You got a lot of Prada. Yeah, that's a lot of Prada. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With Enola Holmes making her way to Netflix and solving the mystery of, what's my Netflix password again? We're going to take a look back at the 1995 American coming of age teen comedy, Clueless. The real mystery is, what does Paul Rudd use on his skin? The guy is ageless. <laughs> oh, already got my sequel. <laughs>